Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. Today we're going to talk about a subject that I was just chatting with my guest about saying I've had a bit of this and of course it's back pain. And we know that back pain can come up in menopause. It's one of the common symptoms and we're going to dig deep with Dianine Vigiano who is really somebody who specializes in back pain. She's a back fit pro. She works with areas like craniosacral therapy, which I totally love as a therapy. She's a nutrition coach, a holistic health counselor, and much more. Welcome to the show, Deneen. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to speak with your community. I am, think that this is such a relevant conversation, and I'm, I know that there are lots of my listeners out there who are going, oh, this back pain doesn't go away. Maybe a good place to start, Deneen, is how common is back pain, particularly in this demographic? Yeah, I mean, back pain is incredibly common. Uh, the, stati- the, the statistic that's bantered around is one in four people at some point will experience back pain. And what most people don't know is that when you do experience back pain, the likelihood of you of a recurring episode of back pain is 60% within 12 months. Um, but unfortunately, most people that experience back pain just hope it goes away and um, aren't really being super proactive about preventing or managing it or or improving. It's sort of like, oh, my God, my back's gone out. It's a terrible thing. And then they just sort of cross fingers and hope that it doesn't come back. And unfortunately, that's not really a viable strategy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And I think that's something we see reoccurring back pain. And if we don't know why it's happening and obviously we can't link it to you know idiot person me who (laughs) who pushed a very heavy lawnmower around the garden which I should have delegated to the husband you know I that then it can just keep coming back and we don't have the same kind of healing do we it's true and you asked about this demographic of perimenopausal menopausal women and you know, body joint aches and pains and injuries are actually more prevalent at this age um, due to the change in hormones. So a drop in progesterone and an increase in estrogen as you go through the perimenopause years is definitely associated with increased joint pain and things like plantar fasciitis and back pain are definitely more prevalent at this period of time. Yeah. And of course, estrogen has a lubricating effect on the body. So that will also, as it goes, declines, that will surely have an impact on joint uh, and pain potentially. Yeah. And if I understand correctly, um, 
menopause is not my uh, area of expertise, except for the fact that I'm in perimenopause myself. So I've done sort of a hard, um, a hard study on it in the last year or two. Um, And so I also understand that in the perimenopausal years is when progesterone is really dropping off. And that Mm. can actually serve as progesterone is actually sort of a relaxant and a calming, it has a calming effect both on your nervous system and also on your muscles and joints. And so um, in the perimenopausal years, it sounds like there's a little bit more estrogen and less progesterone happening on a consistent basis, which can, can lead to more aches and pains. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So for the listeners, progesterone is really dropping like a stone. And we tend not to talk a lot about that. We tend to be sort of locked in this estrogen conversation. But in fact, you know, Danin, you're quite right that we are losing some of that ability to relax. And of course, tight muscles are more likely to be uh, damaged than I would think than um, relaxed ones. And also that, you know, estrogen post- uh, menopause. So we've gone through the actual one day, 12 months since we've had our last period, then it's really the estrogen that's dropping. And estrogen has a massive impact on connective tissue in the body, has a huge impact on lubrication around our joints. That's why we become drier and stiffer and all those less fun things. Uh, and therefore, I suppose, and then here comes the back problem as well. Yeah, I mean, it's you mentioned connective tissue, and that's really it's part of our body that most people aren't really worried about until there's some sort of a a dysregulation in our connective tissue system. And one of the other things that's unique about women and back pain is that, you know, all through our lives, we have this hormonal shift that's happening. And it's not just happening every three weeks, it's happening minute by minute, day by day. Um, And those hormones have a huge impact on our ligamentous laxity as well. And so, you know, in broad brushstrokes for women, as it pertains to spine health, spine hygiene, um, particularly at a younger age, going into the perimenopausal menopausal years, what's unique is that um, this fluctuating ligamentous laxity puts us in a situation that is unlike you know, Bob, the 64-year-old truck driver, that's a that's an entirely different mechanism of back pain. And as we all know, women are not um, highly studied, no. right, in the medical literature. And so most of the protocols that are out there are not really geared for women or not really geared for women with hormonal changes and ligamentous laxity and menopause and perimenopause and all of these different phases that we go through that are really quite tidal in our hormonal um, combinations and and the effects it has on our soft tissues, our fascia, not only our muscles and our joints, but also our ligaments. And so, you know, I come from a community of, uh, I started out in the yoga community, right? In the 90s, I'd say the early 90s. And, um, you know, yoga is always touted as being really great for back pain. And it is really good if you have a sore back or a tight back, or if you're just sitting too much and you're, you're a little achy, but there's a point where we overdo our yoga practice and we try to become too flexible and too bendy. Um, And your spine really doesn't want to be too flexible. Your, your spine really craves stability and strength. 
And so there's this thing that happens, you know, for me, it happened around the time of pregnancy and childbirth, where I was still practicing yoga. And of course, you have that laxity that happens when you're pregnant to prepare you for childbirth. And it's really hard to say there is no literature that says when your ligamentous laxity comes back after childbirth and breastfeeding, if you've born children, it's sort of like loosey goosey, who the heck knows? And then if you breastfeed, who the heck knows? Like, it's just, there is no guideline. Um, and that ligamentous laxity, you know, I gave myself, I acquired scoliosis um, when my son was quite young from holding him on one hip and leaning, oh, you know, yeah. always having him on the hip and always leaning uh -huh. away. Um, so I actually gave myself scoliosis, a lean to one side while my ligaments were quite loose and starting to strengthen up. So it's really, really, really important in the pregnancy postpartum days that we adhere to a really strong uh, spine hygiene regimen. And then, you know, it's, I think, I think the message for us as women is we got to maintain, we got to have a maintenance practice yeah. for wellness and it's nutrition and it's mobility and it's all the things it's foot health and dental health. And, mm -hmm. um, but I'm a spine specialist, so I'm really tuned into spine hygiene. And so, um, creating, developing a, a spine maintenance program that you put a couple pennies in every day <laughs> and do a little something every day um, for the betterment of this structure that goes right up the middle of your yes. back and interacts with all of your organs and all of your nerves and all of your soft tissues. It's really, it, it is the center of you, yeah. your spine. And so to ignore it until it hurts is just dumb. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, and I'm glad you actually brought up earlier that yoga thing because um, that is, I do agree, people do overflex. And I've heard it from acupuncturists and osteopaths as well saying, actually, they're not great fans of some of the yoga that's going on. I mean, my acupuncturist was like, you are not standing on your head anymore. It's just like, no, this is so much pressure on your neck which is pressure on your spine and and he said and I like if you're going to do it you have to do it in a more stable and less demanding way by which stage I was quite advanced and I I backed off and that's how I became more of a qigong practitioner which is highly focused on posture which is also a really that's I mean you're such a great role model because we feel like you know, we've always done yoga this is what I do or we've always been a runner this is what I do and really, you, we need to be more adaptable to the changes in our life and changing what our practice is. And that's going to evolve over time. It's going to evolve over how much stress we're under and how much weight we've gained or how much time we have, but also just just the well-being of our body. We need different things at 60 than we do at 35. Oh, definitely. At 63, I can tell the listeners and you, Deneen, that you know, what I can do now is different. And I, and we have to accept that, you know, that right. that's true. Right. But why do women who have them persistent back pain, as we were talking earlier about, why do they allow it to go on for so long before they end up in crisis with you? I mean, that's a fabulous question. Um, you know, in the U.S., I would point the finger at the medical community first. Um, there is no national 
guidelines for what to do when you have back pain. And there is no, if you have this, then you go see this type of practitioner. Or if you have this kind of back pain, try these 10 things and then do this. There's no guideline. And I know that the UK, I know that the NHS has some guidelines. Um, here, there, there is not that, that guideline. So I think, it's a, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, um, I think women are dismissed pretty consistently by medical professionals. Every single one of my clients, literally every one of my clients has been dismissed, condescended to, and gaslit oh, yeah. by their medical providers for many years ongoing. Um, so that's one thing. Um, we're often told lose weight, exercise more, control your stress as sort of the solution for everything. Yeah. And yeah. Mm. and um, that can go on for years. You can hop from practitioner to practitioner and hear a version of the same thing. Um, and also, you know, the other problem that happens is when we have back pain, you know, if you're like you and I or you and me and um, we try to fix it and we try to figure it out. And before you know it, a year's gone by or two years gone by. Well, well, if eight months or a year has gone by and your pain is still there, you've sort of crossed over yeah. from having this mechanical thing that might be wrong in your spine. Could be a pulled muscle, could be a herniated disc. After, you know, six to eight months to a year, now you're, you're playing the pain game. So now you've sort of rewired your nervous system and your body is hypervigilant for pain. And your pain, your pain system or the, your ability to regulate with consistent pain for a long time is dysregulated. And so not only do you have the underlying cause of the thing that hurt your back, whether it was pushing a lawnmower or lifting a dresser or, yeah. you know, whatever your diagnosis or your mechanism of injury is, that is then compounded with the longer it goes on and is left untreated successfully. Yeah. So they're really pushing it to the side and ignoring it and hoping it goes away um, is, not, is, is not the best solution. But then I also recognize that a lot of us are going to doctors. We're doing all the things we're supposed to do. In the U.S., my clients go to their primary physician. They'll often get a prescription <laughs> for an anti-inflammatory or a pain pill. Mm -hmm. And then they'll get a referral to a surgeon who will either say you're a candidate for surgery or you're not. And if you're not, they're completely unhelpful. It's like, bye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're lucky, you'll get a prescription from someone like an orthopedic spine specialist um, to go see a physical therapist. And then that's sort of hit or miss. Like there's some really great physical therapists that are really effective at whatever's happening for you. And then you may end up in like a box physical therapy spot where, you know, you come in, they set a timer, they say, do this thing for three minutes. Timers are going off all over the place. Beep, 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 beep. And you're, there, it's not really individualized care. Yeah. It's like, oh, you have a herniated disc. You're going to do this, 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 and yeah. this. Yeah. Well, you might have a herniated disc and you might have stenosis and you might have scoliosis and you might have fibromyalgia. Yeah. You know, you might have all these other things, but that PT is just going by the radiology report and the thing that they can treat. Yes, yes. Um, so th there's a lot of, it's the, the system of finding care is broken and, um, I'm going to address chiropractic for just a second. Yeah. Um, chiropractic, uh, chiropractors have done a great job in the U.S. 
of identifying that practice with spine care. And I think that's, I think that's very misleading. I do not think that chiropractic care is spine care. Chiropractic care is a type of spine care. It is a one of the tools that you can use in spine care. But but when people's spines or if you have something that hurts in your back that everybody wants to go see a chiropractor, that is not the appropriate course of action. And there's quite a few situations where you don't want to be craft. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's I run into that a lot where people are like, I went to my doctor. I went to my chiropractor. I've done the things. Nothing's helping. But, you know, and this is a good transition, actually, if you'll allow me the moment. Um, What's missing in this trajectory of what's wrong with my back, who do I see, is information, patient education, empowerment, support, coaching, follow-up. You know, it's, it's a... It's hard to know what to do when the spine is a foreign land, the diagnoses are a foreign language, and doctors that deal with spines are way up here in our sort of reverence for medical doctors. Like the spine is serious. That's some serious stuff. They're the professionals. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So one of the things we do is we give away our power. We just like walk into the doctor's office and sit there like, what's wrong with me? What do I do? Yeah. Um, and that's that's not acceptable. We cannot walk into a doctor's office like that. No, we cannot. We've had quite a lot of conversations on this podcast about that, okay. about how to really work with your clinician. And and I do agree that they, you know, are very quick to write out painkillers. They love prescribing steroid-based painkillers and unfortunately sometimes they will also prescribe worse than that in the form of opioid uh, prescriptions. Cortisone shots. Oh yeah, all of that. And people don't realize that those are those are short-term at the best. Some of them are highly addictive. Some of them have really serious mental health implications. Cortisone can make you mentally not very well, not just cover up and hide something more systemic with you. So yeah. I'm a big fan of not doing that. I'm probably aligned with you there, Janine. Um, it's nice to have the option. Yeah. It's nice to know that our medical system is, we have these things that we can turn to, but they're, those are last resort protocols and we're yeah. using them on the front line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that is just a, I think, a quick fix because fixing anything takes time, doesn't it? It does. And, you know... On the subject of quick fix, uh, another misconception, another thing that keeps us stuck in pain is that um, we're also conditioned to think, well, my back hurts. I need to strengthen my core. I need to do yoga. I need to do these back exercises. And we keep looking for the magic bullet, like the exercises or the exercise sequence that's going to help us. And the problem is that it is not, there is no one thing that's going to help you with back pain. Yeah, that, <laughs> and that might sound disappointing to the listeners, but it's actually having, I presume, a bit of a toolkit to make it, to make it work. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I, one of the things I, I offer is based on my own experience, because I've been through this whole journey. I know this firsthand. I was diagnosed with stenosis and 
three herniated discs and a spinal fracture and grade one, two spondylolisthesis and two scoliosis and modic changes. And I've got sacroiliac joint dysfunction. I've got a whole bunch of stuff back there that was very painful for a very long time. And I know, I know what happens to us inside when we have to deal with that. Um, and I was that person. I did all the things. I saw a chiropractor. I saw a doctor. I saw a surgeon. I saw a PT. I saw a massage therapist. I saw an acupuncturist. I spent thousands yeah, of dollars yeah, of and many, many, many hours. And then I'd come home and I'd be like, how should I sleep? How should I sit? Are my shoes okay? Can I do yoga? Should I go jogging? Is it okay for me to deadlift? Like, I just had all these questions. Like, maybe I should be eating things that are going to help me heal faster. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, at some point, I, there was a tectonic moment where, like, I wouldn't, I couldn't get down on the floor and play with my toddler son. That I was just like, you are disabled. Yeah. You are in the spiral. <laughs> going down, down. Yeah. <laughs> It's not being able to care for yourself soon. Like I just kept getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And um, everybody I was seeing was telling me how broken I was and that I'd need to come see them for 12 sessions or eight sessions. And and it just it was clearly not working. And so it was sort of like uh, I've got to, I've got I've got to take this into my own hands. I've got to do something differently. And I was already a therapeutic fitness pro. I was already a nutrition counselor. I'd already been in the business of fitness and health and nutrition for 10 or 11 years at that point. And I just turned all of my attention and all, all of my free time into taking courses and classes and studying and mentoring with people that were doing really great, unusual work in a, a variety of fields from Pilates to strength and conditioning, to breath, to vagal resilience, to anatomy, to injury management, to physical therapy, to occupational therapy, to neuroorthopedic <laughs> massage, to neurokinetic therapy. I mean, everything. I, we have we need another podcast for all the trainings that I did. <laughs> but what I've done is I've shaken out all of this knowledge from all of these brilliant disciplines and brilliant practitioners from around the world. And I've got like a giant seven page Chinese menu yeah. of all the things that we can do to help ourselves yeah. every day, yeah. every minute. So that we're not disempowered and we're not confused and lost and hopeless and helpless and putting all of our energy and trust and hope into like Dr. Schmidt, who doesn't know you from from a doorknob, right? Yeah. Like he has no idea what you've been through. And he's not so, going to um, hear that, is he? Because he'll never look at the notes that even allow that to happen or, or take the time because he's got seven minutes or whatever to look at you. Yeah, and to that point, you go see a doctor and they're writing down notes and that's none of your business. Like, this is my health. Yeah. I want to see my notes. Yes. But even, even that's not transparent. And so when I work with my clients, um, you know, we spend a lot of time here. I, I spend a lot of time hearing the story because I want to hear all the subtext of all the crap they've been through and what they think is messing up their back yeah. and what they already know, and what they've already tried and what they need in their life and their lifestyle and their fitness. And, you know, I want to hear the whole picture. And then we create this really unique, individualized, like, this is what you need right mm -hmm. now. And we do some assessments, postural, standing, breathing. 
um, that gives us a, a roadmap of where we can go. And then everything, all of our notes, all of our communication, all of my thoughts, all of the photos with drawings and diagrams that I take of my clients, I videotape all the exercises they do on the Zoom. And it is all, it becomes what I call the book of you. Oh, that's. And then you have, like, I've opened up my head. Yeah. And I've shared all my knowledge with you. And not all of my clients are 100% out of pain, but 100% of them are 100% better off than when we started working together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because now they know what to do when their back feels achy or tight or pinchy or stabbing or, you know, they've got this vocabulary and they've got the toolkits to apply to said condition or said yeah. sensation. Um, and they have the background and they have, you know, some of my clients will videotape their workouts or their yoga practice or the things that they do regularly. And then we'll find out how to optimize that thing that you love to do so that you can keep doing that thing, but maybe a little better. Exactly. And this is what you call back pain accounting, isn't it? That's what you termed it. I'm very impressed. <laughs> you've uh, you've read one of my blogs. Yes. I have. But I really love that because that's that is this individual approach, which isn't sort of like here's this fix, right? You're the same. It's really looking at this whole person and giving them and empowering them to have the tools to be able to keep working with this because it's not just fixing it's also the preventative strategy once we're at a point of um stabilization isn't it Denise? yeah exactly i mean you know ha going to someone else and having them do something to your back that is called passive therapy mm. and one of the biggest mistakes we all make with our back pain is most of the protocols that we are taught to do for back pain they're all passive they're not giving you the tools and the information and the education to do things for yourself. So that's that's one of the biggest mistakes. Um, another thing that's really important is not trusting yourself. Yeah. You know, falling out of, if this goes on for a while, we start to feel like a failure. We start to feel like the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with me, but there's something wrong with me. Mm. And that feels really um, that feels really bad yeah. to us. And you know, what 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 I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change change the dynamic so that you know, so that my clients know what to do in every situation. So because if you go see somebody and you have a passive therapy and you go home and you've just spent $150, but then you go home and you're not sure how you should sleep or how you should sit or if your work setup is appropriate or how you should drive your car or pick mm. up your kid or empty the kitty litter or have sex or tie your shoes or put on your pants or I, I go over all of these things with my clients. Nice. Yeah. Because, you know, your sex is affected and how you make your bed can be difficult. And, you know, I've got a client who's a ballroom dancer teacher and spends his whole life sort of in this <laughs> position. Yeah. And how's he going to do that? Yeah. If that's his co right. career. How are we going to optimize that yeah. for you? Yeah, exactly. And I love, I love that because for me, that's, that's, that's what holistic therapy is. It, it's exactly those things. It's a looking at each of those spaces and saying, 
This is this is how you, the individual, begins to go on a path to healing and health. Yeah, I mean, I think what's missing, the people that are, you know, the the clinicians and practitioners that are dealing with back pain, they are very good and very highly trained experts in that one thing that they are very highly trained in. Yeah, yeah. But they're not going to be able to offer you any uh, information about how inflammation and immunity is affecting your pain cycle or hormones or breathing or... Well, they're not the person, you know, they don't have time for that in their practices to A, know all that stuff, to B, spend that time with you, C, follow up with you. Uh, You know, another big problem is we go to physical therapy and we get this like handout of exercises (laughs) to do. Yeah. And then by the third time, you're doing it totally differently than they showed you, but nobody ever follows up with you to find out, is that working for you? Or are you even doing it the way it was intended? (laughs) Right. Really, yes, you know, that and that is that is the interesting part of it. And that's the wonderful work that you do, Denise. So if somebody comes to you and they've had persistent back pain, you begin with the the accounting. Is that where you begin with them? The method? I begin with their story. Yeah. I want to hear their, you know, their version. Um in all the details that their doctor doesn't have time to listen to. Yeah. So there's lots of gems in there. And then we would begin with some assessments so that I could sort of get a map of how they're moving and their body yeah. habits. Um, and the back pain accounting is one of the first steps. I also te- we reteach, we reframe pains. So we have a different understanding of the concept of pain, and then we can relate to it differently. So that's actually the first Mm -hmm. lesson. Mm -hmm. The second lesson is standing with gravity, learning how to stand, which can relieve a ton of pressure from your body on a daily basis. (laughs) And then probably the third exercise we do is this thing called back pain accounting, which is really just a ledger of what nourishes your back and what are some of the things that just keep aggravating your back. I mean, most of my clients come to me and say, I know I'm sitting too much, but Oh, 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 I like that. Yes. Yeah. So therefore we know that sitting may be, may be a factor there. Yeah. But they haven't changed yeah, it I yet. mean, sitting is, it's not just hogwash. Sitting is highly compressive for your spine. Yeah. Your, the, the discs in your spine smush about, um, about a 16th of an inch, which is probably about that much yeah. every half hour that you sit. Half hour. <laughs> so getting up and moving around is important. Getting up and moving around is important and finding other ways to um, to work so that you're not always, A, in the same sitting position, and B, you have other positions to work in, yeah. like half kneeling or, you know, I'm currently standing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but standing can be just as detrimental as well Actually, if you're yeah. not varying your p- position and moving around a lot. There's some wonderful things. Danae, I think you've given us a really snapshot view of of this. And it's so important, I think, because oh, back pain when you have it is debilitating, as you said earlier, on every single level. It isn't just ouch, it hurts. It impacts our ability to exercise, which we need to do to have sex 
to be able to do the stuff we need to do, like push the supermarket trolley and pick up our kids as it was for you. I mean, these things are are life things, you know, and changes our personality. Yeah, it does. It changes our relationships. Yeah. And those those are the things that never get talked about or never talked about. And, enough. you know, if there's one message I want to convey, it's that it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that you got hurt. It's not your fault that you're still hurt. And it's not your fault that you can't find a solution. Yeah. So I want your listeners to not take that on and not feel like, not feel that self-blame and that sense of failure because you're not making progress. The, the failure is in the system. Mm -hmm. And there's another way to do this that is a lot more enriching and empowering and productive. I love that. I'm so glad that you're here to be doing this work. And I, I enjoy talking to you. How do my listeners connect with you? And if they need your support, how they can work with you? Yeah, I would love to um, connect with anybody that's listened to this that just wants to reach out and say hello or let me know something that resonated for you. I love to hear back from listeners after I do an interview. Um, and so I'm. you can find me at Retrain Back Pain. That's my website. It's also where I'm located on YouTube and Instagram and, and all the social media sites. And then I work with clients one-to-one -one on Zoom, very much like this. It's super effective and very convenient for everyone. Um, and I also have a, a group coaching online course that's available. That is fantastic. And obviously, we'll be putting all those contact details into the show notes so people can connect with you. That's fantastic. Super. Thank you so much, Clarissa. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing all this, this insight. And I think giving listeners hope that if there is back pain in their life, that there's actually something constructive and individualized that can be done to put them on a path to less pain and better health. Indeed. Thank you so much for continuing to spread good words for women and women approaching and in menopause. It's such important work. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me it on. It's a pleasure. There we are. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that, because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.